0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition, and we have a very special show for you today. Today's show is a talk that I gave at the Investor Summit at Sea, except this year, the Investor Summit at Sea happened to be a virtual summit on land. And the title of today's talk is The Difference Between Distressed Assets Versus Stranded Assets. Enjoy this keynote address great to be here today and you've heard from all kinds of different folks both today and tomorrow on all kinds of different strategies different ways that you can make money in real estate and what i'm going to share with you today is going to be a little bit different this is a bit of a different talk and what i'm going to be focusing on is a different way to look at the world when you come come away from this conversation you're going to be looking at the world through a different lens and that's the goal of today's talk it's really to be a little bit of a mind bending look at the world and i entitled this talk the difference between distressed assets versus stranded assets and we'll dive into it but for those of you who i haven't met before i am the host of the real estate espresso podcast this is a daily show seven days a week that's right seven days a week and so love to be connected with you that way we talk about all kinds of different things what's new in the world of real estate investing And on a day-to-day basis, I am a real estate developer. That's what I do. Uh, We build apartment complexes all over North America. Love building stuff. Today's talk, stranded assets versus distressed assets. This lighthouse here is called the Baywatch Lighthouse. It's a beautiful asset. You can actually stay in this lighthouse. It's in Prince Edward Island. You can book it on Airbnb at Sleep 7. It's a wonderful, wonderful asset. And it's in the tourism brochures. It's a great place to stay and this is what we would call an income producing asset. This lighthouse here is in British Columbia, and it's clearly a distressed asset, both physically distressed, financially distressed, distressed in just about any way that you could imagine. And in today's environment, there's an awful lot of folks that are saying, you know what, there's a lot of uncertainty. I'm gonna sit on some dry powder and take advantage of the distressed assets that are sure to be emerging in the marketplace over the coming weeks and months. In fact, if you are in that camp, maybe just type in the chat window, type in the word distressed. If you're in the market, if you're interested in picking up distressed assets, when they become available, as I'm sure they will, just put the word distressed in the in the chat box because there were a lot of people out there today that are saying, you know what, it's not business as usual. We have over 41 million people reporting the Wall Street Journal today that have put out Uh, unemployment claims in the United States, close to seven or eight million in Canada that have collected unemployment benefits. And because of that, there's going to be an awful lot of opportunity to pick up distressed assets. And this is the classical thinking. This is people kind of looking for a repeat of what happened post-2008. And guess what? There's a lot of people looking for those types of assets. Now, there's there's another category of asset here, which is what I call a stranded asset. Now stranded assets can be perfectly good assets. The only problem with them is you just can't get there from here for whatever reason. Maybe they're tough to get to, maybe they're sequestered away inside uh, an entity uh, that is difficult to get access to. There's some kind of issue that's preventing you from getting to them. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the distinction between a distressed asset and a stranded asset. And Stranded assets are everywhere. They're hidden in plain sight. This is kind of like finding a Rembrandt painting at a garage sale. It's not that there's anything wrong with the Rembrandt. It's just not where you'd expect it to be. You wouldn't expect to find a Rembrandt or a Renoir or, you know, a Gauguin painting at a garage sale. So when it's in the wrong place, it's out of position, then it's really considered a stranded asset. You can have distressed assets for all kinds of different reasons. They could be physically distressed. What's most common, what happened certainly post-2008, was financial distress. Maybe there wasn't sufficient income to carry the the uh, the property. Maybe the expenses were too high. Maybe there were insufficient reserves. Simply they ran out of cash. Oftentimes, you have those situations, and this is the classical value-add type of turnaround that real estate investors are always looking for they're looking for a property that's been mismanaged it's been insufficiently capitalized and they're looking to basically take over and implement a rescue by recapitalizing it maybe you add some new new washers and dryers increase the rents 50 bucks a month what have you to do the classical value add and that, that's what everybody's doing the only problem with that approach is that like I said everybody's doing it and so when that happens, you get into what I consider to be the auction mentality. Uh, You got a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, a lot of money chasing deals. And when that happens, just like we've seen in the marketplace in recent months, you've got too many people chasing too few number of opportunities. And that becomes the proverbial auction. If you have a single property and there's just one bidder, well, then you're going to pay a good price. But if there's 20 offers on that property, the winner is almost guaranteed to pay too much. And so I never want to participate in that kind of auction unless I see something in that property that nobody else does, and I can see some way to unlock value that nobody else can see, unless I can have that unique position, not interested, because auction fever takes over and you almost always pay too much. But if you are in that situation where you are in an auction of one, you're the only bidder because you're the only person that sees that situation That's where you control the situation and you have the opportunity to unlock the value. With stranded assets, they're hidden in plain sight. You know, for example, today, we have hotels North America wide running at about 22% occupancy. That's a terrible number. Prior to the pandemic, we had hotel occupancies at almost record highs in the high 70s, which is unprecedented and certainly in the last couple of decades. And today they're at 22% occupancy. Now, they are not in foreclosure yet there will be a bunch i've talked with a lot of hotel owners that are have enough cash to last until the fall september october time frame we're already starting to see some weaker hotels come on the market distressed and again this is what everyone's chasing this is exactly what everyone's chasing i'm going to show you an example um, for those of you who have read my book magnetic capital this is one of the examples in the book uh, this is Uh, A baseball stadium, a minor league baseball stadium that I acquired a few years ago. It's in New Jersey, about an hour outside New York City, and it's called Skylands Park. It was purchased, it was built originally in 1993 at a cost of about $11.5 million, and a year later went into foreclosure with $26 million in debt. Don't ask me how they managed to do that, but somehow there must have been some funny business going on. And the folks who bought it, a year later, uh, owned and operated the park up until the time that uh, we took it over, and this this park set all kinds of records for league attendance. They were they hosted the New Jersey Cardinals and the Sussex Skyhawks, and it's a it's a it's a decent asset. It's 28 acres of land, 46,000 square feet of buildings, a 4,200 seat stadium with 18 luxury boxes, parking for about 3,000 cars, and. What was interesting about this, and the reason that we became interested in this, is because it was distressed. Uh, The husband and wife who owned it, uh, the husband died, they lost their team franchise, the wife was left with this baseball stadium, she knew nothing about baseball, and she just wanted to move to Florida to be close to her kids. So she handed it over to a realtor who put it up on the MLS, folded his arms, and waited. Now, you may not know much about baseball, but I can tell you that's not how you market a baseball stadium. This is kind of an interesting story because it's a combination of both a distressed asset and a stranded asset. Uh, so it's got a combination of the two. They were asking two million dollars at the time, or two or actually two point two million. They got an offer for a million and a half, all cash, which they rejected. They got an offer for a million eight financed, which they accepted, and that financing eventually fell through. And now they're about two years into this sale process. They still haven't had any bites on it. So we offered them. 950000 in cash which they accepted. Now I'm going to draw your attention. To, you can see that there's two light poles here in this picture and the light pole on the left has something just below the lights. You may not see it very clearly but those are cellular radio antennas. So this particular stadium had a cell tower on it with revenue from Verizon, T, uh, Sprint and T-Mobile. Three carriers and those three carriers rented that space on that light pole for $50,000. So when you do the math uh, on that particular revenue stream, the way you value a cell tower, it, it's a separate asset. And you can value it essentially at the same kind of cap rate as uh, as you would an income property. And they typically trade in the marketplace at about a 7% cap rate. So if you want to value that, you take $50,000 and you divide by 007 that particular asset is worth just over $700,000. Now remember, we bought the entire stadium for nine fifty. dollars So we actually sold the cell tower on closing day for $700,000 and managed to get our cost basis on the rest of the stadium down to $250,000. Not only that, in the time that between we got the property under contract and the closing day, we actually started looking to market it. We We really had no interest in owning a baseball stadium. So we started contacting people in baseball, you know, looking at former major league players. Do you want to run a a spring training camp or what have you? And we found a guy who was looking to restart a minor league, but he wanted eight stadiums, not just one. So we gave him a a right of first refusal to purchase the stadium. And he asked us, what would we want for that right of first refusal? And we said, well, how about $250,000? So he said, okay, no problem. Uh, but he wanted interest on his 250 grand, so we said, "Okay, we'll give you interest." So we gave him 8% interest. So for the cost of 8%, 8% interest on 250 grand, we bought a we bought a baseball stadium, which is kind of cool. And it's because it had this stranded asset inside it, specifically the cell tower. And these types of things are all over the place. You just got to know where to look. So we're going to go through a bunch of examples here on different stranded assets. And right now. Post-COVID-19, we are seeing all kinds of different stranded assets. Let's talk a little bit about restaurants. We've got a lot of restaurant closures. Some of them are starting to open up. And the question is, why would you eat in a restaurant? One great reason is maybe to celebrate an event, maybe an anniversary or a birthday. Maybe you want to take your significant other out on a date. But one other reason, which is very frequent, is you're just too tired to cook. And this my wife and I experience this all the time. You know, it'll be a Wednesday night. You know, it's 7:30, we've been working like crazy and we look at each other and we say, "Man, we're too tired to cook. Where do you want to go for dinner tonight?" And a lot of people will do that. Now, the takeout menus have really uh, taken off because you don't need a sit-down dining experience to handle that third category. A good takeout menu from your favorite restaurant delivered to your door is a very good solution to that particular third category. Now, if you want to go out for a birthday, you want to go out on a date, yeah, you're going to go to a restaurant, but maybe not necessarily in that third category. So let's talk about what's happening in the, resta- in the world of restaurants right now. And I tell you the tale of five restaurants. And these are just restaurants in my community that I happen to know about. I'm not in the hunt for restaurants at all. The first one is a place called uh, Stoneface Dolly's, Irene's Pub. These are all restaurants that are closed right now uh, due to the pandemic and likely will not reopen. Or if they do reopen, they will fractionally reopen. So let's look at Stoneface Dolly's. This one is an Italian restaurant on uh, in Little Italy. Uh, they just put out an announcement on their website saying that with heavy heart we're saying goodbye and to various circumstances. Make a long story short, the owner is 75 years old, and he simply doesn't have the energy to restart the restaurant when we all come out of this lockdown situation. There's nothing wrong with the restaurant. It's perfectly viable. He's just tired, and he's not the only one. In fact, most of these that I just named are tired owner syndrome. They've got customer loyalty. In fact, you'll notice here on the top next to the home button, there's a button that says cookbook, and if you click on that, for 30 bucks, you can buy a the cookbook for their entire menu. That's how they're planning to leave the legacy of the restaurant as you go buy their cookbook. And this is gonna be repeating itself all over North America. So, here's another one. Now you'll see in this particular picture, there's a blue and gray building to the left that I have currently under contract and the little white house behind it, I currently have under contract. And we're about to close a contract on this particular building. Again, it's a tired owner type situation and we have our architectural team working right now on a mid-rise uh building for this particular development site it'll be a land assembly of these three particular properties again this this property's been in business now as a, as a pub for close to 40 years they got three patios it's you know it's a great location it's a it's a very hot area and um it it did, did well as a restaurant but highest and best use for this collection of three properties is certainly a high-rise building, which is what we plan to put on it. And we may reopen a ground floor commercial with a, a restaurant or a pub because that, that particular location has proven to do well with that type of product. You've got all these restaurants that are closing down, but what if, instead of just selling a cookbook, what if all of these restaurants, you could serve that menu? Whispers is known for their beer-battered fish and chips. What if you could order the beer-battered fish and chips instead of serving it out of a out of a, a dining rooms kitchen where you're paying forty five dollars per square foot triple net for that lease, what if that kitchen was located in an, in an industrial building with good connection to the freeway where you're renting the space at eight dollars per square foot triple net and not only you're serving the menu from that one restaurant maybe you could be serving the menu from half a dozen or a dozen restaurants that have closed down. Those websites would still be active, and the legacy of those restaurants could, in fact, still be active, but served out of that one kitchen. You could potentially pay a royalty to the previous owner, so every time the beer battered fish and chips gets ordered, the previous owner gets uh, a few nickels for someone having ordered that particular menu item. And, of course, because all these kitchens are closing down, you can buy the equipment for pennies on the dollar. These are the types of things that are possible, but only when you put them together. You got to put two and two together, things that are not out there listed on the MLS with a flashing red light on them saying, I'm a deal. You've got to figure out where is the stranded asset. In this particular case, the stranded asset is the menu. It's the customer loyalty between the menu and the customers. They can't get to that menu from here. So if you can find a way to deliver that menu through some other means, you can resurrect that stranded asset. Here's another example. Let's say you have a company with a tax loss on the balance sheet. The company has no income. It's not in bankruptcy, but it's something with a loss on the books. And you have no offsetting income stream with which to use that tax loss. Well, what if you sold that company, and I'm not an accountant, so you know, don't... don't uh, Come on this webinar and say oh, I got tax advice from Victor. That's not the goal here. You got to get your own tax advice. But this is the you could potentially go acquire that company for its value as a tax loss. Now you can collapse that company into another business that has an income stream, and now you've got a tax loss that you can use uh, against that particular uh, income stream. Uh, so again, taking advantage of a stranded asset. Here's another one. These are conservation easements. Let's say you have a property that has actual conservation value. You're not going to take a parking lot in Pittsburgh and return it to wilderness. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about taking land that has real environmental value. And the United States, there's a, a rule in the tax code called IRC 170H. And since inception, about 20 million acres of land have been donated to conservation. Now, what's cool about this is you can take the land, you can donate it between the landowner and either a 501c3 land trust or donate it to the government. And uh, you're basically constraining that land so it will never be developed uh, and and its minerals will not be harvested in perpetuity. But when you do that, you get a tax deduction, not just for what you paid for the land, but for the, the highest and best use of the value of that land. So let's say that land might be worth, uh, maybe it has development value. You could put 300 houses uh, subdivision on there. You would get its value for a 300 house subdivision as your tax deduction. I'm not gonna go into this in a tremendous amount of detail because I wanna move quickly here. But again, this is an opportunity. You know, Here, I'll give you another example with the same thing. You could, for example, let's say there's oil and gas nearby. Uh, you, could, you could effectively donate this land for conservation, and get a tax deduction for the value of the oil that you never pump. I mean, think about that. Get the value for the oil that you never pump. And then you could sell that conservation easement as an asset for cash, and the buyer could get a deduction that's higher than what they paid for that particular piece of land. So those are the types of things that are possible. Okay, here's another piece of stranded intellectual property. And that is, for example, you've got someone with a tremendous amount of knowledge, maybe a retired planner for the city, maybe a high powered lawyer. That's a stranded asset. That intellectual property that's in that man's brain is a stranded asset. You could have, there's lots of unemployed salespeople right now that are willing to work. They're used to pay, being paid on commission, and they are going to be awesome, awesome employees because you don't have to pay them up front. They know that if they don't hunt, they don't eat, and so they can add value to your business without you necessarily having to pay out of pocket. So, what you're looking for is someone who has access to what you want. Maybe they have distribution that you could use, maybe they have warehouse space that you need, maybe there's some spare manufacturing capacity or some equipment that you need. I mean, when oil was down at around ten twelve dollars a barrel and for a couple days the price of oil was negative there were people looking for oil storage tanks anywhere in the world because you could buy oil at a deep discount maybe those assets could be put to work who has expertise that you want this is what you're looking for give you one more little case study here this is a deck and fence company that i sit on the board they have a problem where they have a shortage of labor They got too many leads and the price of labor in our particular market uh, is way too high. I mean, there's just no labor available. So what do we do? We hired six carpenters from the province of New Brunswick where the labor rates are low and the unemployment rate is high. And what do you do with them? Where do you put them? Well, I have found another buddy who owns some student housing where the vacancy rate is high right now. Why? Because the schools are closed. The universities are closed. They've moved everything online. So we married together the student housing with some carpenters from a couple of provinces away, and they are gonna be working until the end of August, inclu- accommodation included. So what were the stranded assets? Some guys looking for work and some accommodations for these folks. Put them together and solve a business problem. That's, After all, that's all business is. It's just all about solving business problems. Where are their stranded assets? They're everywhere. Hertz, today's in bankruptcy. They have 700,000 vehicles. Now, these are distressed assets because they're in bankruptcy. But, you know, and so if you're going to be dealing with these guys, you're obviously going to be dealing with a bankruptcy judge because it's a financially distressed situation. But what about Avis or Enterprise or Budget? They're not in bankruptcy. They have the same problem. They have hundreds of thousands of vehicles that aren't being rented. What if you could do a deal with them and say, you know what? I'm going to take all of your white vehicles, and I'm going to take them for 200 bucks a month, get them off your balance sheet, and then I'm going to go to someone like Kroger's or Wegmans, and I'm going to say, you know what? We're going to put together a delivery fleet for your grocery store, and uh, we'll put a vinyl wrap on the front door of all these white vehicles. And for a commitment to Avis, we're going to we're going to guarantee six months worth of uh, worth of lease payments to solve your problem. And now the grocery store gets an opportunity to do something that they couldn't otherwise do at very low entry cost without having to take a ton of financial risk. It's just marrying together a need with a distra- with a stranded asset. So your go- goal here is just to go out and make a deal. When you have stranded assets, you can gain control of them without necessarily having to buy them. Because they're stranded. They're stuck. You can't get them out anyway. So just leave them where they are. Just gain control of them. And stranded assets give you more negotiating leverage than distressed assets for the simple reason that with a distressed asset, the only exit is a sale. The distressed asset is almost always a sale, but you can rent a stranded asset. You can lease it. You can set together. put together some kind of royalty stream or, or some kind of revenue share. You've got more latitude. So that is how you look at stranded assets. I'd love to connect with you. If you want to ask me any questions, uh, you can reach out to me directly. I'm at victor at victorjm.com. Hope you found today's talk interesting. Keep an eye out for distressed assets, but more importantly, stranded assets. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.